Please take your Bibles and turn with me in the book of Revelation to Revelation chapter 5. We are still in vision 2 and we are this is the second episode of vision 2, um, an episode that follows quickly upon the heels of uh, the first episode in chapter 4 where John is taken in the spirit to the throne room of God where he sees all of creation gathered around the throne room, worshiping God for his sovereignty, for his strength, for his uh, uh, glory as it is manifested there in the throne room. And John is still in that throne room as we read today, as we pick up the vision in Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept. And wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. Let us pray. God of love, lead us to find rest and joy in the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb who was slain. Help us to grow in our worship and find peace in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before the end of the Lord of the Rings, the city of Minas Tirith is victorious in a battle that seemed ultimately lost. They were victorious because a mysterious man led an unexpected army onto the battlefield, and this army swung the tide of battle. 
This general refused to enter the city under the cover of nightfall, except under the cover of nightfall. Following the final battle, when the enemy is defeated and the land is beginning to recover, the mysterious stranger enters the city as the long-expected king. And we hear these words. When Aragorn arose, all that beheld him gazed in silence. For it seemed to them that he was revealed to them now for the first time. Tall as the sea kings of old, he stood above all that were near. Ancient of days he seemed, and yet in the flower of manhood. Wisdom sat upon his brow, and strength and healing were in his hands, and a light was about him. And then Faramir cried, Behold your king. John is in the throne room of God between the decisive victory and the final victory. And in this episode of the second vision, John is introduced once again to the king who is worthy. He is told to behold your king. This episode opens with John moving his attention from the worship of the elders and the angelic beings and all creation. And and he, he moves his gaze back to the throne. And as he gazes at the throne, he sees a scroll in a hand, a scroll that had writing on the front and on the back and and was sealed with seven seals. Now, during this time, the scroll was the main form of, of written communication. And although this was beginning to shift to the codex, it was still the main way that kings and people communicated with their subjects, with their friends. The scroll was originally made of papyrus from Egypt. This, this reed would have been taken and beaten into strips and laid out in horizontal strips and glued together with vertical strips in such a way that the horizontal strips would be written on. And they could vary in length from a couple feet up to several yards. The scroll made was then made not only from papyrus, but from parchment later on. A parchment was made from animal skins. And, and, and a scroll made from animal skins could be written on front and back. And oftentimes you had a summary of what was on the inside written on the back of the scroll. Land deeds, royal decrees, last wills and testaments were all written on scrolls and sealed with official seals in order to assure their authenticity. So, so we are told here that this scroll, as we, as we see it, is some type of official document that is held in the hand of the one seated upon the throne. And many commentators try to nail down exactly what John is trying to describe here. Is this a land deed? Is this someone's last will and testament? Is it as a grocery list that the king wants to have someone take into town with them? But our focus should not be on what exactly this is, and and we will talk about what it symbolizes here in a moment or two, but, but we should be answering the question in the context of the book of Revelation and the context of the second vision, what are these images and symbols pointing us to? We have just come through seven letters to the church. Seven letters calling them to faithfulness. Seven letters calling them to repentance. Seven letters affirming that God sees, that the Savior sees and knows what is going on in those churches. And he brings them comfort and promises. Promises that say those who are faithful, those who conquer can have eternal life. 
They will walk in eternal fellowship with me. They will sit and reign with me eternally upon the throne if they are faithful. This scroll in light of the context of this book, which is designed to bring comfort to a persecuted and suffering church, this This scroll is God's plan for getting the church from point A of suffering and persecution and struggling in faithfulness to point B, which is the realization of all those glorious promises that were promised to those who conquered. The placing of the scroll in the hand of the one seated on the throne and the overarching theme of the book of Revelation, we can then see that this scroll is the royal decree for the history of the church. And for those who persecute the church. And as we look at the scroll and consider this history that is going to come about for the church, we learn a couple things. First, it is full or complete. The picture that we get is not merely that there is stuff written on the inside and then a summary document written on the outside. But that if you were to unroll this scroll, every square inch of that scroll would be covered with writing would be covered with the decree of God as as God is working out his plan in the history of the church and in the history of this world. This plan is so complete, this decree is so full that nothing can happen other than what is decreed and written out on this scroll. This history, this, this prophecy is also secure. Seals or were assurances that what was included in the document was authentic. And as long as they were intact, what was in there had not been changed. The history of the church, the history of those who persecute the church, the history of those who join the church is complete. And it is secure in the hands of the father. And so John sees the roadmap, if you will, For how do we get from churches who are struggling to be faithful in a world that is antagonistic to them to those glorious rewards? It's what John sees in the scroll. But there's a problem. Because after John sees this history rolled up in the scroll, still sealed, still waiting to be carried out, an angel comes, this mighty angel, which is a reference to Daniel 7 and and one of Daniel's visions. This mighty angel comes and asks a question. Who is worthy to open the scroll? Or who is worthy to bring about God's will for the church? And the search is thorough for one who is worthy. All of the universe is searched. It it, it says there in the passage today that, that no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. And the picture there is not necessarily of, of the, the heavens, the earth, and the grave, but no rock was left unturned in the search for one who would be worthy to open the scroll. And yet nobody was found. And all the myriad of angelic beings and all the myriad of created animals and, and all the myriad of humans who have existed from the time of Adam until the time of John and even looking forward, humans that would ever exist, nobody was found worthy. No angel could be worthy because this had to be carried out, we know from the rest of Scripture, by a human messenger. 
Angels rejoice to watch the unfolding of redemption, but they will not be redeemed. They will not take part in the redemption. They will not participate in the judgment upon those who are not redeemed. And so beyond being heralds and messengers of the work of God, they are not worthy. The animals were temporarily used as substitutes for humanity and the sacrificial rites that pointed to a need for a better sacrifice. But they are not created as humans in the image of God, so they cannot be worthy. Well, what about all the humans, you may ask, that have existed since the beginning of the world? We have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We have exchanged the glory of God for the pursuit of our own glory and have taken ourselves, have disqualified ourselves because of our sin. And so we are unworthy. And notice here, John's response to the unworthiness to carry this out is to weep and to weep. Or as it says in the original, I cried with great crying. I sobbed with great sobbing. Why is John so upset? He's just had these seven letters from Jesus to the church. And every single one of these letters promised eternal glorification, eternal fellowship in the presence of God. And there's no way to get there. Nobody is worthy to take the church from point A to point B. No worthy person can be found to work out God's sovereign will upon this earth. Imagine you had all the promises laid out before you, the promises of eternal glory, the promises of eternal life, the promises of no more death, no more suffering, no more sickness, God wiping your your tears away from those whom he loves. And there's no way to get there. No matter how desperately you want it, you would weep as well, brothers and sisters. Those promises laid out there for the people of God. But we can't get there. Here is John exiled on the island of Patmos. He has lost friends and co-laborers in the gospel to persecution. And he knows the future that awaits the church. And if there is no one worthy to carry out God's will for the church, it is all for nothing. It's a worthless endeavor. Paul says, if the resurrection is not true, we are the most to be pitied because we are pursuing a promise that we can never get. So John sees this history, this this prophetic history of the church just waiting to be unfolded, and yet there is nobody found to open it. So here's John sobbing in despair. And one of the elders comes to him and offers a joyous consolation. And this joyous consolation is that there is someone who is worthy. And he identifies this person for John. He says, this is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and he is triumphed. He is able to open the scroll. The lion of the tribe of Judah is a reference all the way back to Genesis 49, 9, when Jacob is blessing his children and he comes to Judah and he says, Judah, you are like a lion's cub. And the scepter, the the symbol of kingship will never leave the tribe of Judah. 
Several centuries later, David comes along, the the son of Jesse, and, and he takes up the mantle of kingship for the tribe of Judah. And God promises David, the tribe of Judah, David will always have a son seated upon the throne of God's people. And in Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies that it's, looks, it's going to look like the tribe of Judah has been wiped out, but there will be a righteous branch that grows up from that cut off stump that will take up the mantle once again, the crown of David once again. But notice here that John doesn't use the word branch when he talks about David. He uses the word root. And this reminds us that not only is Jesus the human descendant of David, he is also the second person of the Trinity, the root, the source of the line of David, the one who created Adam and Eve and preserved humanity, calling them to faithfulness, calling them to be worthy, even though humanity has failed. And the elder tells John that this lion of the tribe of Judah, this root of David has triumphed and he is able to open the scroll because he is both human and he is divine. He is God himself. He he has both satisfied humanity's role of righteousness and he is God and can handle operating in and with the sovereignty and power of God. So John jumps up and enjoy an excitement of hearing that the one who is worthy is here, ready to take the scroll. He stands up and he begins to turn, expecting to see this lion of Judah, this kingly beast, this magnificent, majestic king of the beast. And he turns and he sees a slaughtered lamb. But this is no ordinary lamb. This is the lamb who has triumphed. This is the lamb who has perfect power as, as, as shown through the seven horns that he has. This is the lamb who has the perfect wisdom of the spirit that he sends out into all the earth, signified by the seven eyes that he has. This is the lamb who has triumphed through the ultimate defeat. Satan and his minions laughed as the the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb hung from the cross. And yet that apparent defeat was the ultimate victory and what made him worthy to not only gather the church, but to carry out God's will in the church for the rest of history. This lion Lamb of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain, is worthy to take the scroll. And we see this worthiness in the worship of the elders. They sing a new song. We struggle oftentimes to learn new songs, but we will sing new songs for all of eternity. And one of those new songs that we will join with the elders and the saints and singing is singing, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain and with your blood, you purchased men from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Why is the lion lamb worthy to open and to handle God's plan for the church? 
It's because the church is the church in him. His blood was spilled so that we could be cleansed. We'll see later on in the book of Revelation that the saints of God wear white robes that have been washed and purified in the blood of the lamb. It's a picture of the righteousness that rests upon the people of God because of Christ's righteousness. He made us the church. He will see us through to become the glorified church. And he is worthy to carry out God's plan for the church because he is both God and man, the lion and the lamb. And so John sees the lion lamb. And just as an aside here, if if you were ever try to draw out the imagery in Revelation, you would really be confused. People would wonder, what are you drawing there? Because most sheep don't have seven horns. No sheep that I know of, unless they live near Chernobyl, have seven eyes. So we are always pointed back to the imagery. What do these what do these pictures point us to for this Old Testament imagery that we that we see in these word pictures that John gives us here? It's the sacrificial lamb. It's the it's the king who was sacrificed on behalf of his people so that they could have salvation. And and as John sees this lamb who was worthy, we see worship swell once again. As we looked at the end of chapter four, we saw the elders and the angelic beings and all of the created order lifting praise and worship to God. But as we are as we have the the lion lamb revealed to us, the one who is worthy, that worship swells even more. It's not just the four angelic beings, but he tells us that is the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. John is using the biggest numbers he could in the Greek language to say there were more angels there than I could count. I looked out over the expanse of the universe and all I could see was angels. All I could see was glorified saints. All I could see was all of created, all the created beings. And what were they doing? They were worshiping. They were adding their worship to the worship of the saints, saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. You know who else received worship because of those seven attributes in the previous chapter? The God seated upon the throne. We have the triune God here at the center of the universe. We have Father, Son, and Spirit there at the center of the universe working together for the good of the church. And they are being worshipped. And the worship grows even more to add the earthly creatures into it, to say to him who sits upon the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures say, amen. As the elders fall down and worship, we get this picture through chapter four and chapter five that that worship starts small. Think of the church in Acts chapter one, 120 people stuffed in a room, afraid for their very lives. And by the time Christ comes back and glorifies his church once and for all, that worship of those 120 people will include people from every tribe, every language, every nation, every tongue. We we talk about the the, the gospel going to the to the corners of the earth. We talk about the gospel being for all people. 
It doesn't matter your genetic background. It doesn't matter your political affiliation. It doesn't matter what state or country you were born in. And it doesn't matter what language you speak. Your voice, if you are a child of God, will be added to the universal heavenly worship of the people and creatures of God. And that worship will echo off the walls of the universe. That worship will fill all of creation as we lift our voices in praise to the one who is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And as we said, as we looked at chapter four, we have this beautiful opportunity in this place to begin to practice for that worship. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We are here because the one who is worthy has gathered us into this place. And we are gathering in worship of him because he is worthy. This has applications for us today. You know, John despaired because neither he nor anyone else was capable of carrying out the work of God in the church On a personal level, this reminds me of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he said he prayed three times for God to remove that thorn from his flesh. And what did God say? I'll show up next Tuesday. No, he said, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made manifest in your weakness. Brothers and sisters, do you ever find yourself at the end of yourself? No matter how hard you've tried, no matter what help you have sought from outside sources, nothing is working to fix whatever's going on in your life. God says that's a good place to be. Because when you realize your own unworthiness to work God's glory in your life, that is when the one who is worthy reminds you that whatever it is, he has defeated on the cross. He has triumphed over it in his death and in his resurrection. And secondly, we see the value of prayer in this. We so often underestimate this one phrase. They were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. We'll look more deeply into prayer a little bit and its role in the book of Revelation when we get to the first few verses of chapter eight, but we cannot miss this here. You know, the Holy Spirit, we're we're told in Romans chapter eight, the Holy Spirit works with us here on earth to give us words or to pray for us when we don't know what to pray. Revelation eight is going to talk about how Jesus is interceding for us as the altar there in heaven, adding his prayers to our prayers so that they are they are acceptable before God. But here we see the value of prayers. Do you put your junk in a golden bowl? No, if, if you can afford a golden bowl or even a silver bowl, you keep it polished, you keep it nice, and you only put special stuff in that bowl on special occasions, do you not? Your prayers, no matter how feeble, no matter how faulty, no matter how weak, your prayers are in God's presence and he keeps them in a golden bowl the purest of gold, the perfect gold in his heavenly presence. Your prayers are valuable to God. Don't forget about them because part of the value in those prayers is, yes, God has this scroll. God has this 
this, this, this process of history that's going to work out for the church that he has decreed that we are going to get from point A to point B. But one of the main things that God uses, that God has decreed that will get the church from point A to point B is the prayers of his saints. Think about Moses. Think about the Israelites. Moses comes down from receiving the law and the Israelites are there worshiping the golden calf. And God says, you know what? I'm going to just wipe them out and start all over. And Moses prays. And God had decreed that it would be Moses's prayer that would save the Israelites in that moment of his anger. He had every intention of preserving the Israelites all the way to the promised land. But his intention was carried out through the prayer of Moses. Your prayers avail much, brothers and sisters. They are valuable to God. He has decreed that your prayers will help to get the church from point A to point B. John sees God's history for the church. John sees God's plan to get the church from a place of lowliness and persecution to a place of glory and eternal life and eternal peace. And there was no one worthy And then there was the lamb who died, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Today, I want to help us drive that point home a little bit differently than normal. I'm going to wrap up with a song. You have the lyrics to the song there in your bulletin um, on the backside of the prayer list there. Andrew Peterson, some of you know him as an author. Some of you know him as a musician. But uh, several years ago, Andrew Peterson looked at this passage uh, in Revelation chapter 5. And he wrote a song called, Is Is He Worthy? Is He Worthy? And so today, I'm going to play that song for us.
Let's pray. Our God and Father above, we are here in this place gathered because the one who is worthy has secured our place as a kingdom of priests to serve you, our God. Lord, we thank you that he is worthy to open the seals, that he is worthy to see the church through from earthly antagonism and persecution to the glory of that you have planned for your church. And we thank you that because of him, we are not the most to be pitied. We are not wasting our time, but we are joining our worship with the worship of creation that will echo throughout creation for all of eternity. So Lord, empower us in the name of the one who is worthy. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As you go this week to family, to work, to recreation, take this blessing upon you. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And so that we can one day behold our King, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.